Tonight, we're gonna talk about the forgiveness of God. We get to the part in the Lord's Prayer. So I wanna do this before we watch the video. We've done this every week. Um, We just kind of meditate and focus on the Lord's Prayer and each phrase as we uh, continue to walk through it. We have one more week next week. And so I hope you will be here next week to finish this out with us. Um, I also, uh, somebody asked me last week to, to, hey, can I watch the video if I missed a week? And so I'm putting them online secretly. I can't just put them up publicly for anybody to watch because it's paid stuff and that's just illegal. Um, But I have put it up with passwords that if you say, you know what, I missed a week, I'd love to see it. I don't have a problem with that and I would love to give you that if you just email me. Um, Or if you say, you know what, I'd I'd like just to freshen up, maybe watch one uh, again. Uh, Please just email me tomorrow. Um, If you come up to me tonight and tell me, I'll forget. So just email me tomorrow and I'll send that to you so you can get on and watch that. But let's do this. Let's just, uh, out loud, I just want to read this, and as we read it, uh, again, not just a thing of just to recite it, but that we just meditate on what we've learned already and what we see, and then what God is going to teach us tonight and next week. So let's, let's read this together out loud. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to watch this video and we'll come back and we'll talk more about this. Welcome back to our study on the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Today we're studying a very important text about forgiveness. It's where Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God bless you as you study forgiveness and just rejoice today that God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God who takes our sin and throws it as far as the east is from the west and covers it forever with the blood of Jesus. Oh, may we be in a constant state of repentance, constantly saying, Lord, please forgive me for my sin as I forgive other people who have sinned against me. You'll never be more like Jesus than when you're forgiving someone who has sinned against you. God bless you. It's gonna be a great study, and I hope that you will receive forgiveness and give it to others as well. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored. Honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today. Our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us us from the evil one. It's real easy to see ourselves at the top of the totem pole and to forget our position with grace. Every single one of us are sinners. All of us have messed up. All of us have had a big debt that we couldn't pay off and Jesus paid it off for us. I mean, you just go back to the story in the text and you're reminded of, you know, what it is to forget about that and not forgive the people uh, that, that owe us. You know, sometimes I, I think for me, I have to be reminded that the only thing I truly deserve is hell and death. And that, that's it. I, I'm not entitled to anything. And as we pray, I think it's good to remind ourselves that what we truly deserve is hell, but Jesus forgave us. And in that same 
in that same way, we've got to remi- be reminded of that in our daily lives because there's going, there's going to be moments in our life where, where we feel entitled to something that we don't really deserve. And it's a reminder that Jesus showed us grace. He showed us love. He showed us mercy. And in the same way, as a follower of Christ, somebody who lives with the Holy Spirit within us, we're called to distribute that in, in crazy ways. It is not incidental or accidental that the prayer for forgiveness is tied directly to the prayer for bread. For us to survive, there are some things we need God to give us. But for us to survive, he now says, there are things we need God to send away. What literally is what forgiveness is. It is to send away. We need God to bring into our lives bread and the basic necessities that we need. But we need God to send away guilt and bitterness that separates us from him and from one another. Forgiveness says C.S. Lewis is always a good idea to people until you personally have something to forgive. The question is then, why forgive? Why forgive your debtors? And here Jesus reminds us that the grace you extend is tied to the grace you receive. Forgiveness is not an issue of worth and peace and reconciliation or any of those things. It's a matter of the gospel. We are obligated to forgive because we have been forgiven and we have been forgiven at a cost, at a price. The one who owed no debt paid our debt. You know, when I'm asking for forgiveness, Scripture is very clear that unless I give forgiveness, I'm not going to be forgiven. So if for no other reason but an ulterior motive, I choose to forgive because I want to be forgiven. And when I think about all that Christ did for me on the cross by taking my sins, bearing my shame, my guilt in his body on that tree, how can I not forgive someone who's done something against me? And you know, it really goes beyond that because if I'm really walking in the spirit and loving according to 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not going to take into account a wrong suffered, which means I can't be offended because I'm dead. I am, if I'm living out the crucified life, I am crucified with Christ, and it's not me that lives now. It's Christ living through me in his spirit, and I can choose not to be offended. I can choose not to take into account a wrong suffered, and when I do that, there's not even anything to forgive because I haven't even been offended. Well, I think anything, any time that we enter into the presence of a holy God, we recognize our own sinful nature. You know, even though we're saved and the Holy Spirit lives within us, we know that that old nature does battle with, you know, Paul talks about that in Romans 7 and 8. And so for us to ever come into the presence of a perfectly holy God and feel like we don't need forgiveness would be the, the greatest of sense of arrogance. And so we come into his presence by his invitation and we realize that that in our thoughts and attitudes and deeds that there there is this need for forgiveness. But I think the harder part of that phrase, because most of us, I think, as evangelical Christians who've been Christians long enough know our need for forgiveness, but I I run into a lot of people who struggle with the second half, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there are a lot of people sitting in our churches who were riddled with unforgiveness. They, They hold grudges against a former pastor, a deacon, a friend. And, and there is a connection to those. In fact, this is the only 
phrase of the Lord's Prayer that's actually clarified again immediately right after the prayer. He'll go back to it. It's that important. And it's not that if we don't forgive our somebody who's sinned against us, it, it's not as if God can't forgive us because we can't earn forgiveness any more than we can earn salvation. What happens is, is that it closes our ability to receive God's forgiveness because we get this idea that if I can't forgive my wife or my neighbor or my pastor, then how can God forgive me? And, and so it, it's not that God can't forgive us. He can't break through this because God forgives us, you know, ultimately and totally. But it, it, it blocks our ability to accept and receive that forgiveness freely given in Christ Jesus. So when, when I find people that, that are harboring unforgiveness, they get bitter in it, and it affects their relationship with God because of that bitterness. So they're intricately linked, linked together. That is that that I need God's forgiveness and I need to extend God's forgiveness. One of my dear friends, her name is Sheila Walsh, and she says this all the time. She says that um, God's forgiveness is his gift to us, enabling us to live in a world that isn't fair. And I remember the first time I heard her saying that, I was really grappling with forgiving my abusers. I had some sexual molestation when I was a kid, and I felt like that had just marked me. It's almost like that had made an, a handprint in the wet cement of my heart. And whenever it rained in my life, that handprint still collected water. There were still um, bruises, even though I was a new creature in Christ. There were just some places where I felt negatively marked by that. And the first time I heard her say that, I was probably in my early, early 30s, and I thought, forgiveness really is less about reciprocity. It's more about God's kindness to me. Because for me to let go of that weight, some of my abusers were dead. I wouldn't have the, the privilege of actually reconciling or forgiving face to face. But to go, God gave me forgiveness so I could drop that burden and walk in more liberty. Um, it's wonderful if you're able to have forgiveness face to face with somebody, but to have the gift of forgiveness, to be able to forgive when you don't have that, that leads so much to liberty and abundant life. So I think for us to live in that posture of forgiveness, not foolishness, but forgiveness to be God and other centered, I mean, that is absolutely the path to abundance. You know, what is interesting in the Lord's Prayer, um, that he does, I mean, most people probably wish there was this that part in the Lord's Prayer where he says to, to ask that we would be able to forgive others so that we ourselves could be forgiven. I, I bet you everything else is pretty, okay, we get this, we get this, okay, we can do this, this is great. But this is where the rubber meets the road. They're like, oh, <laughs> um, this isn't so easy. Uh, and, and, and actually, it's very, very hard if that's, if, if that's what you're just trying to do. Really, the Lord gets us there in the Lord's Prayer by, again, starting first with making much of his name, surrendering to his will, uh, and then realizing that he is the provider of everything. So by the time we get to the part in the Lord's Prayer where he says, um, you know, that we would be able to do, that we would be able to ask that we would be able to forgive others, uh, and then that we ourselves would be forgiven, uh, we're like, you know what? I, I wasn't worthy to receive anything, and Jesus is everything. Um, I need to do this. And you know, I think probably, arguably, the greatest sin in the church, uh, one of the greatest sins in the church, may be a lack of forgiveness, which stems from pride. And it stems from actually not preaching the gospel to ourselves. Not every day in the place of prayer, running back to that cross and just gazing on what the sacrifice was for us. When we enter into those moments in the Lord's Prayer relating to forgiveness, the element of receiving forgiveness from God and the element of extending forgiveness toward others, 
we need to always understand that it is God who releases us from the power of our past, the power of our sins. And so we are once again acknowledging our deep need for that, our deep need to have access to what has already happened uh, in the sense that salvation, but to realize it for ourselves. And then to, to pray that God will give us the power to forgive others. That's the part of us releasing them to God. Forgiveness is key to our humility because sometimes we're asking somebody to forgive us and they're asking us to forgive them. And either one brings an ache in our hearts. It brings an anxiety. It's when I've done something wrong, I'm like, oh Lord, ah, it's just an ache in me. If I've wronged the Lord or I've wronged somebody else or I've said something I shouldn't have said or done something I shouldn't have done. There's also an ache when somebody's wronged me. And I'm like, that wounded me, that hurt. So what happens when we take those wounds and those anxieties and those aches in need of forgiveness or in need of giving forgiveness, it then brings us to a place of humility because all we can rest upon is grace. We're not resting upon our own strength. We've blown it or we've been wounded by somebody else that's blown it. So we take that and we say, Lord, help me to forgive so-and-so or Lord, help me forgive myself. Sometimes I'm the, God's more gracious to me than I am. And so I need a process of humility in the midst of that forgiveness to say, Lord, let me humble myself. I'm never gonna get it all right. So, I mean, some of us as Christians, we're thinking perfection is like right around the next corner. The next book we read, the next church service to go to, perfection's coming. I'm never gonna get it all right. Thank you for your grace. I'm humble before you that I come one more time and I'll come again, but I need your forgiveness. And then also too, I have to humble myself when I'm gonna forgive somebody else that's wronged me. Lord, I, I can't make them pay. I can't try to get back what was lost. I need to humbly say, Lord, you've forgiven me of so much. I want to be humble before them as well and forgive them. And God, I want that ache to just ache for you. And so now I'm bowed down to the grace of Christ instead of lifted up to the perfection of man. And now the prayers bring humility and really a spiritual cleansing in a way, not, not in salvation, but in right relationship again with God and with man. And so those are key Forgiveness is a great catalyst for humility. You know, forgiveness uh, is a very tough thing to extend when you have been deeply wounded. And I often try to teach people in a pastoral kind of a way that surface injuries take little time to heal. Uh, deep injuries take a lot longer to heal. And we should just acknowledge that and recognize that as reality. I think the starting point, though, for extending forgiveness is what is taught in Ephesians chapter 4 in verses 32, verse 32, where uh, Paul says that we're to forgive others as God in Christ has already forgiven us. And I try to help people understand no matter what somebody may have done to you, they have not done to you what your sin did to Jesus. So the starting point for our extending forgiveness to others is to do so out of the reality and the recognition, look at what God has already done for me in Christ. He's forgiven me of everything, and I'll never forgive anybody as much as God in Christ has already forgiven me. So there's the starting point. But then again, we recognize, and we need to be honest about this, deep wounds take more time. Uh, but that's what God's grace is all about. It will extend our ability over time to give the same forgiveness that we receive from Christ. The most challenging uh, dimension of Christian forgiveness is that I'm going to forgive somebody the way Jesus forgave me. 
is my, um, if God forgave me to the limit that I forgave others, um, would I be a Christian? Would I be in hell? Um, I mean, thank goodness it's actually reversed. It's not that we forgive in order to gain God's forgiveness. It's that we forgive because we've been forgiven. Um, that, that part of the Lord's Prayer really changed my marriage because um, I always joke that my wife and I have been married for 15 wonderful years and two other ones for a total of 17. And it was, you know, there's a couple of years or toward the early of our marriage where she and I did not know how to forgive each other. And, and we had a Christian counselor that we sat down with who looked at us, you know, I've been in ministry for five years at that point, And he looked at us both and said, he said, the problem with you is you don't really know the gospel. You, you know with your mind, but neither of you know it with your heart because you see yourselves as first sinned against and second sinner. He said, actually, the gospel is going to teach you the opposite. You're first sinner. And he said, J.D., you will never be asked to forgive Veronica of anything anywhere close to what God has forgiven you of. And when you embrace your identity as sinner, then suddenly being sinned against will become much less significant in your life, and you'll find yourself overflowing with forgiveness. Um, when I pray that part of the, of the, of the Lord's Prayer, and I, I try to walk through the Lord's Prayer just about every day in, in some way, and I, uh, when I get to that part and I say, God, um, forgive uh, my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. I think, um, Lord Jesus, I want to forgive my wife. I want to forgive people that have hurt me um, like you've forgiven me. And it's so, the things you have forgiven me from are so overwhelming that whatever it is I'm being asked to forgive is just, I mean, it's, it's nothing uh, compared to the, the riches we have in Christ. Obviously, the most difficult part of forgiveness is having to forgive. It is a wonderful concept. It's probably my favorite in Scripture, the whole idea of forgiveness, until I reach that point in my life where I have to let someone off the hook of my wrath or my pain or my desire to pay back. And so that's the challenge is, for me, it's been uh, really releasing someone, releasing them and saying, you know, even though this has been so painful and even though I have been betrayed or I have lost something, I release you um, because that is what Jesus Christ has done for me. So obviously you have that major tension when we have to walk out forgiveness. Uh, the beauty and the redemptive part of it is that this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And when I think about forgiveness, I, especially when I'm challenged and have to forgive someone and it's so hard, I always remember that Jesus does not ask us to do anything that he is not. And so for me to, to truly identify with who he is, um, that he is a forgiving God, the, the way I'm going to identify that with that most and how much he has forgiven me is for me to be able to step out in forgiving others. And so I don't know that we ever... I don't think we ever lose the tension. I think it's so hard, and I think in walking out how difficult that is, we get to experience just a taste, I mean, just a glimmer of the forgiveness that Jesus Christ showed us. When you think about forgiveness, uh, it gets real personal because your concept of forgiveness depends on how much you understand God's forgiven you, quite honestly. Uh, I found out I was adopted when I was 39 years old. It was really hard for me to forgive my parents for hiding that from me. It really hard. But I realized one day, if, if I don't do that, then I'm going to regret for the rest of my life that I've let this hold me in bondage and that the devil has gotten this claw inside of my heart and that if I don't do it, then somebody else is going to do something to me and I'm not going to forgive them either. 
and all of a sudden I'm going to become the thing that I say I never want to be, a hard, bitter, angry, unforgiving preacher that takes everything out on everybody instead of just loving people the way they are. And really what brought it home to me was when Jesus said, have faith in God, if you see a mountain, say this mountain be moved, and you, everybody kind of reads that in Mark's gospel and says, oh, you know, you can have mountain moving faith. There's a verse that follows that. And it says, and if you have anything against anyone, forgive. The key to mountain moving faith is not the size of your faith. Jesus said the key to moving the mountains that stand in the way of the will of God for your life is your forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? So as Christians, when we give and receive forgiveness, one of the things that we're really doing is we are modeling the work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. We're reminding each other that this is what Jesus did. So if you were to come to me and ask me for forgiveness and I were to withhold that forgiveness for some reason, I am in a way denying what Christ has already done. But when I give you this gift, when you humble yourself and you ask me for forgiveness, one of the things that I'm saying to you when I freely and readily give you forgiveness is that I'm acknowledging, how could I hold something against you that Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, has already let go? It is a beautiful, beautiful daily picture of the gospel when we do for each other what Christ has already done for us. Forgiveness for the Christian, not only in our prayer life, but also in our action, is a wonderful picture of the gospel because that's what portrays the gospel to a lost world. We're responding to people in a way very different than we're supposed to respond, right? The Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now, Jesus comes along and says, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give your outer garment, right? So Jesus is saying that. And I think the reason he tells them to pray that is because it's countercultural to the way we are. Like when somebody pushes me, I, I want to punch him in the face. I mean, that's just the way, you know, human nature. That's a, Thank God I gave up UFC fighting years ago, but the nature is still there, right? And so I think Jesus says you need to pray that way because what happens in your prayer life is manifested in your Christian life. And so when we're constantly dependent upon prayer through forgiveness of sin, another promise Jesus gave us was this, is that I will forgive you with the same breath as to which you forgive others. And if you don't forgive others and you have a beef against your brother, don't come bring your offering to me and worship. And so Jesus says, leave your offering at the altar, go make it right with your brother, then come back to me. And it shows us this wonderful principle. When we have problems in our horizontal relationships with other people, it could be a direct connection that our vertical relationship with God is out of whack. And so as we continue to pray to God, serve God, honor God, and forgive other people, God through prayer reminds us the need for that as he forgives us. put this question on the front of your page there at the bottom. Why is it so difficult for us to forgive others? I want you to talk to me about that for a second before we turn over. Let's, let's just work through this. We, we know kind of what, what God's asking us. So why is it so difficult? Like Robbie said there, sometimes we just want to punch them in the face of what they've done to us. I don't know. There's probably a lot of you haven't been, you know, ready to punch somebody in the face, but but you know how hard it is. Why is it so difficult? Yeah. 
I love that. I love that. Instead of, hey, we've been sinned against, forgetting that we did a lot worse to God, that we are sinners. And so realizing that. Why, why else is it difficult? So it's like, as soon as you admit what you've done wrong, I'll forgive you. I've done that at home. It doesn't work too well. <laughs> Why else? Really? <laughs> Anybody in here ever been in a situation you thought you were right, the other person was wrong? Anybody? Go ahead, let's raise hands. Come on. I don't want to feel like I'm alone. Anybody ever felt that and then decided, oh, I was wrong? <laughs> yeah. I was talking to a guy today. He said he had to do that with his son the other day. He had to admit he was wrong. And he said, but I was kind of right, but, you know, I wasn't. But, I, you know, and I said, sometimes it's hard to, to, to swallow that. Um, anything else? Maybe, maybe some of your past where you've had a hard time forgiving somebody. What was it staying in your way from forgiving that person? Hurt against your child. So not necessarily against you, but against someone you love is a lot harder probably sometimes to forgive that person. make up okay <laughs> that helped didn't it did that help right away it was like oh yeah okay <laughs> yeah right you know, sometimes even the black and white scriptures we just don't want to accept as black and white, do we? It's right there, right? I want you to turn over. I want to talk to you, kind of talk to you about a couple of things that we can learn from this. I want you to go to First John chapter 1. This whole idea of the first, the first phrase of this where he says, forgive us our debts. Again, we remember that the implied subject is God, that God is the one forgiving us our debts. Um, and, and in First John chapter 1, I want you to see two things uh, from this passage. Um, let, me just, let me just read this to you. First John cha- uh, chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Just, just that verse. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I really think we're, we're talking more than just uh, immediate, you know, confessing Jesus Lord of our life and Him forgiving us of our sins, past, present, and future. We're talking about a daily action here that has taken place. That daily when we come to God, we are asking. So here's, here's the first thing we must do. In, in, in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, we must acknowledge, that's the first blank, we must acknowledge that all of us have not only sinned, that have more than likely, I put that in there because some of you, at first it was like, 
we have sinned recently. More than likely, we've sinned recently. There's anger in our heart from maybe today earlier, maybe pride, maybe lust, maybe, you know, whatever it is, hatred towards someone today, yesterday, but recently in our lives, we have to acknowledge that there's sin in our lives. So when we come to God and we say, forgive us our debts, we're actually saying, God, I I recognize there's stuff in my life you're not pleased with. I recognize there are things in my life, sins in my life, that are hurting this relationship. So we can't come and, and pray this without acknowledging that, can we? I think that's why a lot of times when people just use this Lord's Prayer as a prayer, they just recite it, it means nothing because when you come and you just say, forgive us our debts, well, what, what do you want him to forgive you of? I think a lot of times we generalize this thinking, oh, I'm good if I just ask God to forgive me a blanket forgiveness, God. I'm sure there's some things I've done, but I don't want to say them out loud right now. You know, it's, it's, it's this idea of saying, God, you know what? Today, I didn't agree with my wife, and I got mad, and I got prideful, and I didn't want to say I was sorry when I knew I was wrong or I was right, whatever it was. There was something in my life. How can I ask God to forgive me of my debts if I can't even forgive her? We must acknowledge that all of us not only sinned, but have more than likely sinned recently. Listen, listen to this. I, I love this. With William Barclay. I use his commentaries a lot of times. I don't have a lot of commentaries. I go online. I don't have a big library like Pastor. And I try to steal some sometimes, but I love William Barclay. I love reading his stuff. But he said this, when we come to see what sin really is, we come to see that it's universal to disease in which every man or woman is involved. When we come to see what sin really is, all of a sudden we realize that, you know what? We're all involved in it. Just because we confess Jesus as Lord of our life on a certain day, for me, March 24th, 1996, it does not mean that I'm not involved in sin still today. And I have to acknowledge that. And when I ask God, forgive me of my debts, I'm saying, God, today, forgive me of those things, those trespasses, those things that I know were wrong against you and against other people. William Barclay also gave, talked about five different words for sin in the New Testament. I want to give you these. I'm going to butcher how to pronounce these. I actually went on and clicked on a little sound bite and listened as close as I could. But here you go. Pastor's going to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the first one, write this down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it and then I'll spell it out. Hamartia. Hamartia. I don't even know if I need that. I just sounded cool. Rob could probably help. Rob, Greek scholar. <laughs> H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. The meaning of this word for sin in the New Testament was this idea of missing the target, missing the mark. You've heard that one before, right? Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If this is the target, God's glory, then my sin causes me to miss that. Hitting all around it, not even close. The second one, parabasis. See, I can't even say it now. Uh, I've got it in my mind. P-A-R-A, P-A-R-A-B-A-S-I-S. P-A-R-A-B-A-S-I-S. This one right here is the willful 
uh, disregard of obeying. And so it's stepping across the line. So it's almost like, okay, you, you, remember, you remember the old uh, illustration, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. You don't cross it. You better not cross it. And they cross it. Why do they do that? Out of spite. You tell me not to do something, I'm going to do it. It's a willful disregard of anything that, that is asked of us. So that's one. The next one, I'm just going to spell them. P-A-R-A-P-T-O-M-A. Peritoma. This one right here is, is not so deliberate. The word here means to slip across the line. This, this idea, you know, of on an icy road. You ever been on an icy road and, and with, without you even being able to help it, you start sliding? There's nothing you can do, right? They tell you just to, just, to, just to go with it, right? Is that the rule? Is that slipping across the line? It's just, hey, just not deliberate. It just happened. Here's another one. Anomia. A-N-O-M-I-A. This is lawlessness, wickedness. I, I love this definition of it. Knows what's right, but does what's wrong. Just plain wicked. I, I remember Jack growing up. <laughs> just plain anomia. Just plain wicked. You know? When you tell them not to do something, they're like, and then they just do it anyway. That's us. This is us. When we read these and we think about these, think about your own life. You've probably been in situations with all these. And here's the last one, and this is what, what Jesus talks about in Matthew, is O-P-H-E-I-L-E-M-A. Ophelema. Ophelema, I think. And this is debt. Other definition for that is that which is owed. Forgive us our debts, that which is owed. When we come to see what sin really is, we come to see that it's a universal disease in which every man and woman is involved. Let me tell you this, and I don't think there's one person in this room that would say, you know what? Yeah, I don't have sin in my life. There's not one man or woman in this room that would say, yeah, that's not really me. But this is the problem. When we come to God in our prayer, not just in the Lord's prayer and reciting this passage, but when we come to God in our prayers, before I start spouting off what I want God to do in my life, what about I need to think, God, how's my relationship with you? What is it in my life that is causing you pain and you hurt and keeping me from hearing what you want for my life? Forgive me of those debts. Forgive me of those trespasses, those sins, those things that I owe. This is more than just past, present, future. This is these things in my life right now that I know that you are not pleased with. Those things that I've deliberately disobeyed you in. Those things that I, I really didn't deliberately do that, but it just happened. Forgive us of our debts. Not only must acknowledge that all of us have sinned and sinned more recently, we must trust in the fact, we must trust in the fact that God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of that sin. Isn't this the good part, the good news? I mean, think about this. If God wasn't faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins, where would we all be? We wouldn't be here. We would have no hope. 
when I say forgive us our debts, I'm not only acknowledging, but I'm trusting that God will be faithful and righteous to forgive me of all my sins, of all my debts. Let me ask you this question. This is on your sheet right here, and I want you to answer this. How does confessing my sins change the posture of my heart toward God in my prayer? How does does confessing these sins, what what does that have to do with it? I mean, why can't I just come to God and say, God, you're great, you're good, you're merciful, your kingdom be done, your will be done, give me my daily bread, and then I'm done, amen. What does confessing my sins do for my posture, my approach toward God in my prayer life? What do you think? Wow, yeah. Humbling. hinders what God wants to do. It's humbling. It could hinder. Why, why is it good to confess? What does it do for the posture towards God? Amen. He is right all the time. wrote this quote from the Pray Like This study book right underneath it. It says, we confess our sins for the sake of our relationship with him. Just think about that phrase right there. If I don't confess my sins, what am I saying? What am I saying about this relationship with God? I don't need you, God. I love what J.D. said. It's not that we forgive in order to gain forgiveness from God, but we forgive because we've been forgiven by God. We confess our sins for the sake of our relationship with him. We confess our sins so that our hearts can be unburdened and we can be reminded again of God's limitless, gracious love for us, the gospel. When I say forgive us our debts, I'm reminding myself of this gospel, of this good news of Jesus Christ, that even though I was a sinner, Romans 5, 8 says, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Forgive us our debts. God, please forgive us our debts. But we get to the second phrase of that that I think is just as important as asking God to forgive us, just as important as we need to forgive those who have sinned against us. You, you notice something in that, that phrase, as we also have forgiven our debtors. What do you notice about that? Past tense. I caught that later today. I was like, huh. Forgive us our debts is what tense? Present tense. So don't come to God, basically what he's saying, don't come to God if you haven't forgiven those first. Now again, this is not about, listen, I forgive so I can gain forgiveness from God. I, I did not like what the lady said. I don't know her name. 
I did not like what that lady said. Hey, if for no other reason, ulterior motive, I'll choose to forgive because I want to be forgiven. It's terrible theology, I think. I don't forgive somebody just so God will forgive me. I forgive somebody because God did forgive me. And there's no other choice. This is not about my motives. It is not about for me. This is not for me. This is for him. And the only reason I do this is because I love him. I love him. I love, I love the story. Go, go to Luke chapter 7. I wasn't going to use this one, but I want you to go to this story. You probably remember it. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Jesus was dining with the Pharisees and others. And verse 37, it says, And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was... I I love how he pointed that out. It was a sinner that came in like, like the rest of them weren't. Found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, think about this. Was this Jesus saying, this woman is a worse sinner than you? And because she was forgiven more, she loves me more? So you're kind of, you get a pass because you're not as bad as she was. That's not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying is this woman realized how bad she was. But yet you don't. You don't see the truth of your sin and who you are. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she loved more because she had been forgiven more. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, right before the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So this, this sense and idea is that, listen, I don't forgive people because I want to be forgiven. I'm forgiven, so I forgive. I've been forgiven, so I forgive. It doesn't matter what they've done to me because there's nothing in this world somebody can do to me that is bad, as, as bad as what I've done to my Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that right? As bad as things have been done to me or you, as bad as things may seem, and, and I've heard stories, and I know things of people that have gone through things, and I go, I don't know how you forgive from that. But you know what? I can't imagine God saying and looking at me and going, you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. 
And not even because I did something to earn it. Just because he loved me. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Matthew 18. Go to Matthew 18. story of the parable of the unforgiving servant starts off with Peter asking a question. Jesus turns it into a teaching opportunity and Peter says in verse 21 of chapter 18, then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Now you've got to understand this. In, in Jewish days, most of the time they would say that is Three times. This was kind of the, the rule of thumb for the Jewish people, that if they were sinned against, then you could forgive somebody three times. It was kind of a general rule. And Peter, Peter being the big Christian that he is, being the big God follower he is, he goes, you know what, Jesus? I got a, I got a better one than that. Not three, but seven. And I'm sure the other disciples were like, wow. He's smart. He's godly. Then Jesus says, no, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Other translations, I think, say 77 times seven. I think the point is this. Jesus doesn't care about how many times. You just keep forgiving them. There's no limit on forgiveness. If God put limits on forgiveness, where would we be? I want to tell you something. Can I just be honest with you? If there were limits, if there were seven times or even 70 times seven, if that was the limit, then you know where I would be? I wouldn't be here. See, God puts no limit on our forgiveness and he expects us the same, not to put limits on that as well. In the parable of the unforgiving servant, he goes on, he says in verse, 22, verse 23, for this reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle... Um, Accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. He didn't, he didn't extend his loan. He forgave him. To that, the servant goes out. He says, ha, there's a dude that owes me some. What, what did he owe him? Go back. His, uh, da, da. Not much, was it? 100. 100. He goes out, and he, he wants to have the guy hung, but he puts him in prison and says, until you pay me back. The master finds out and goes back and says, what are you thinking? See, I think a lot of times, depending on the wrong that is done to us, depends on the forgiveness that we give out. Depending on how bad it was to us, depending on what it was or who it was or these things, that all these circumstances determine how much forgiveness we're willing to give out. Now let me ask you this, based on this passage, based on Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We forgive no matter what. Why? Because he forgave us. Now go back to that first question I asked. Why is it so difficult? It's still difficult. 
probably moments and things in our head that are swirling, people that we're thinking of that, man, I need to go back to this person. I need to go to this person. I need to take care of this. Still difficult. But you know what? I think when we begin to understand the gospel and really what Jesus did for us on the cross, when we begin to grasp the extent of how big and how great our God loves us and forgives us, when we realize how bad and dirty we are, forgiving somebody of what they've done to me becomes nothing. I'm running out of time, but I'm, I went today and I just started thinking about one of the greatest forgiveness stories beyond the cross, one of the greatest forgiveness stories. And I just want to read to you real quick. You can write this down, but you don't have to turn there. But Genesis chapter 45. Many of you know the story of Joseph who was sold into slavery as a young boy and his brothers just tried to get rid of him. I even wanted to kill him. Comes down to the end and verse Five. Let me read verse 4 of 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, as they come and, and he meets them again, he says, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one who, sold, who you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. I, I love that phrase. That he, it wasn't just, hey, don't be mad or, or grieved that you sold me. You sold me. Remember that. <laughs> I want to throw that back out there. But don't be mad. I'm not mad. And he goes on to say this, because, listen, listen to this, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. See, Joseph knew he could forgive because he knew the big plan of God. He knew God's plan was not even just for them at that moment. He knew it was bigger than them. So that forgiveness, it didn't matter what they had done to him. He forgave. Verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land. This was bigger than us, brother. This is bigger than us. I can't hold a grudge against you because you know what? God has big plans for us. God has something that we don't even understand fully uh, right now. And, and we're, we're, we're going to see God do amazing things through our people and through, through what he has for us. And I forgive you. Verse 8, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Listen, I don't know what you're going through right now with somebody else. I don't know what sins they have done against you. I don't know what debts they owe you. But let me tell you something. There is no debt too big that cannot be forgiven because God's already forgiven the biggest debt. And God has a plan that no matter what we go through, God has a plan to use that, not to harm us, but what? Listen to this. Joseph said, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God, right? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present results, the survival of many people. The gospel, seeing the gospel played out, no matter what somebody's done to us, there's no reason why we cannot forgive. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, when you come in prayer and you're wanting God to do some amazing things, you want God to provide for you, and you want to ask him of, to use you, let me tell you something. One of the most important things you can do is to make sure your relationships horizontally, like they said in the video, that everything here was good so that this can be good. if there's anything I have against my brother or sister 
then don't expect God to be pulling any big favors for me, like we say. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the last thing at the bottom of this page. Quote from Pray Like This book, it says this, our willingness to forgive others reflects our understanding of God's forgiveness of us. I love that. Our willingness to forgive others reflects our understanding of God's forgiveness of us. If we have trouble extending forgiveness to another person, it might very well be because we aren't aware of the depth of our sin and the greatness of God's forgiveness of us. Maybe the reason it's so difficult is because we truly don't understand the depth of our sin and the greatness of our God's forgiveness for us. I'll say this as we close. If you have a problem right now with forgiving someone and you say, Chris, you don't know. You don't know what they did against. You don't know what they did to me. And it might be the worst thing in the world that we could ever imagine. But I want to say this. If there's a problem somewhere in forgiving somebody, this is what I want to encourage you to do. Go back and read the Gospels. Started reading through Romans again. And just, I've been stuck for a couple weeks on just the first few chapters. And when you begin to understand the guilt that I'm trapped in, but yet what God did to remove that guilt. We begin to understand the great extent that God went to forgive us of our sins and the depth of my sin. When I understand that, I begin to see people with different eyes. They're different perspectives. William Barclay also said this, that if we want to forgive somebody, we need to learn to do three things. He, 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 he put it so beautifully. He said this, three things we must learn to understand before we condemn. Maybe we don't know the whole story. Maybe we don't know what they're going through or what's happened in their life or what's caused them to, to do this against us. We must learn to understand. Not only that, we must, we, must, we must forget. Learn to forget. Find a way that we don't hold a grudge. We don't, don't hold that so that, that we cannot move on. And he said this, we must learn to love. We want to forgive somebody, we've got to learn to love them. We begin to love them like Christ loved us. I'm going to tell you something. All of a sudden, we begin to see all barriers of unforgiveness and, and pride and anger and hurt. Maybe we see that begin to be washed away. But it's only through the power of Christ. Let me pray for you. Father God, Lord, I don't know what everyone in this room is going through and the hurt and, and the Lord, just the, the pain that sometimes people cause us. Lord, I pray right now for, for love and forgiveness to rule in our hearts. God, would you remind us, remind us of how much you forgave us, how much you love us. And Lord, I pray that tonight, that tonight there would be someone in here that, that goes and forgives as you've forgiven us. God, I pray that strongholds would be broken, Lord, and God, that Satan would not have any room to brag. God, we begin to see walls broken down in our relationships with others around us. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us so that we could live, so we could be forgiven. And we give you the honor and the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.